It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM and listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day. We also want to welcome those people who are listening on other radio stations that now carry Moment of Truth. And we appreciate all of you listening to the show and you can also listen on our SoundCloud or your favorite podcast platform where we also post all of our previously recorded interviews and conversations. And in conversation with us today, and our topic for today is the Ottawa Public Health is partnering with the Wabano Centre for Aboriginal Health to provide COVID-19 vaccinations clinic for First Nation, Inuit and Métis community members aged 50 and up. And my guest on the show is Dr. Sarah Funnell. She is a First Nations family physician and public health specialist. Sarah is an associate medical officer of health at Ottawa Public Health and director of Indigenous Health within the Department of Family Medicine at Queen's University. Previously, Sarah offered primary care services for refugees, immigrants, homeless and Indigenous people. And since March of 2020, she directed her attention towards supporting the COVID-19 response and advancing Indigenous health medicine education. So it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Sarah Funnel to the show. Welcome, Sarah. Chimigwech for having me. Well, yeah, Chimigwech for joining us and being able to share some of this information that you are working on towards the COVID-19 rollout and vaccination of people. So, first of all, how long have you been Associate uh, Medical Officer of Health at the Ottawa Public Health I joined uh, Ottawa Public Health in 2018 as an Associate Medical Officer of Health, Mm. but uh, I've been uh, going back and forth between uh, university medical training and Ottawa Public Health since 2012 when I first met Dr. Vera Etches as a medical student. Mm. I was a fourth-year medical student. Uh, I was first introduced to Ottawa Public Health. Um, And at that time, I began working with our our nurses on uh, Indigenous health equity. And I've continued to do that over the last years at Ottawa Public Health. Indigenous health equity. What what does that mean? We know that Indigenous life expectancy, so the life expectancy of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people are at least 10 years um, different than non-Indigenous people. So First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people uh, on average die 10 years before non-Indigenous people. That is health inequity based on race alone. Mm. Um, And that has, uh, there's lots of reasons for that. Uh, Chronic diseases, mental health um, issues, and it all stems from uh, colonialism uh, and the attempt to erase Indigenous culture at the start of uh, what we now call this country of Canada. Mm. And so we're still seeing the repercussions of that attempt at erasure of uh, culture. Mm. Uh, At the same time, despite this, we know that Indigenous culture is alive and well. Mm -hmm. And we hear from our Indigenous uh, elders that a return to our culture is how we will return to our wellness. That's right, yes. And and thank you for bringing that up. And you know, we hear so many stories about the that inequity because of colonialism, as you pointed out, residential schools and how the intergenerational trauma has passed down and down and down. Um, so let me ask you this. Are you still finding that people are somewhat naive or, or don't know about the inequities that exist? A a lot of the learners that I interact with, so that's medical learners, whether they're medical students or residencies doing specialty training or learning to be family physicians uh, or public health nurses that I work with at Ottawa Public Health, um, they tend to be very aware of the health inequities. Hmm. Um, 
But what they're not aware of is the root cause of those health inequities, uh-huh. uh, that they are very much driven by social determinants of health. Mm. And then in the Indigenous context, uh, those social de- determinants of health uh, stem all the way back to race and systemic racism, mm-hmm. which is a really, really strong determinant for um, access to uh, education, um, a, a good a good income. And, and so what I do when I teach is that I, I try to create a, a safe learning environment, but that will challenge learners, hmm. medical learners. So I ask them to tell me about some inequities they know. And, you know, they, there's no issue with that. They, hmm. They're often uh, hear about diabetes. Hmm. Um, I'll hear about uh, mental health, right. substance use, yep. uh, even suicide. And then what I do is I take the learners and we start stripping away what the root causes of those inequities are. Mm. And I have not met a class that has not gotten to the root cause, mm. which is control over Indigenous people. Right. And so um, I hope that that's the illuminating part for those that I, I teach. Yeah, good point. And that illuminating part, I certainly hope that it translates into not only their awareness, uh, but also perhaps them taking some kind of action that can help improve the lives of Indigenous people in the future um, through that through that illumination and knowledge. That is, that is my hope. Um, others that do this work uh, alongside me, that uh, Indigenous medical education and anti-racism work is really hard work, both for the student and the teacher, Mm. particularly if the educator is uh, Indigenous Mm -hmm. or uh, from a racialized um, uh, community. It's it's very difficult work for for everybody, but um, that doesn't mean it it shouldn't be done. And it requires deep reflection, both on the part of the learner and the teacher, mm. and it's um, it, it takes a it takes a while, um, and reflection is really really critical uh, for all of us. And um, as you likely know, or and maybe your learners know or don't know, is that the part of the the, the success criteria for creating cultural safety uh, is that self-reflection part Mm. of uh, those that provide services, whether it's a nurse or a social worker, that they're able to self-reflect on their power and privilege and what that means for them and their uh, clients or patients when they're providing services. Mm. And so I try to take learners through that uh, learning journey, particularly with the, the reflective Mm-hmm. And knowing that it won't all occur uh, at one point, mm-hmm. that it's going to take a while um, for that reflection. And I, when I speak to, to family um, residents, so those learners in family medicine, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, after an encounter, if there's something that's really bothering you or gnawing at your you know, at your gut, that's something about a clinical encounter that's really troubling you, to, to allow yourself to explore that mm. because I've experienced that as a First Nations family physician working in communities other than my own mm. and working through that um, can sometimes mean that I reflect that maybe I wasn't culturally safe mm-hmm. when in an interaction mm. and to work on that and reflect on that um, is a really important uh, element of becoming a culturally safe uh, practitioner. Mm. Yeah, I, I can't help but think as you're talking, you as a physician, it's one role you're playing, but I'm sure you have found, as many of us uh, being in, of Indigenous background, uh, that once that's revealed somewhere, <laughs> if you're in a room, that all of a sudden you're the expert. Yeah, you're both the, um, it, it's it's kind of walking in, in two worlds, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're the um, on one hand, you're the expert in everything Indigenous. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, and on the other hand, um, you're the expert in Western medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
I've had some really, really lovely encounters with patients in First Nations communities when they learn uh, who I am and where I come from mm-hmm. and ask questions. And I, um, I learn so much from patients, uh, particularly uh, First Nations, Inuit, Métis patients, about their unique histories and experiences and their reflections and stories. And really, um, it really is a privilege to learn from my patients mm. about about myself mm-hmm. and my history and where we, mm. where we come from. Yeah, it is an ongoing journey, isn't it? It's it's a continual learning process, uh, even even being of Indigenous uh, background. Now, you just mentioned your own, and you are, I believe, from Alderville First Nation. So, um, not surprising, I have a complex background, as mm. most uh, <laughs> Indigenous people in Canada do. Yes. I, um, my uh, grandfather uh, was from Kitaganzibi, mm. and his um, first language was Algonquin, and then he learned to speak French, mm. uh, and then English. Mm. So, he really spoke with this really thick accent. <laughs> I, I still can hear it. Uh, sometimes when I hear other people from Kitigan ZB speak, I hear him, mm. uh, and I just feel at home, you know? Mm. Um, well, he wanted to fight in World War II, but if he fought in Canada, our family would have lost our yeah. um, First Nation status yep. under the Indian Act. So, what he did was he ended up going to the United States uh, to Tuscarora mm. um, Reservation in Upper New York, mm-hmm. Um, and he fought for the U.S. Hmm. Um, but he he met my grandmother, who's from hmm. Tuscarora, ah. and uh, she's 95, wow. um, still living, and received her uh, COVID vaccine yesterday. Oh wow! Um, yeah, and and so my my father, um, who's Simon Bracoupe, a local First Nations artist, he uh, grew up in New York State, returned to uh, our home territory here of Ottawa. Um, Algonquin territory here Mm -hmm. where he met my mother (laughs) um, who became a First Nations um, status Indian in 1969 when she married my father (laughs) even though she's a third generation Irish Catholic (laughs) right like so that was that's the sexist policy in the Indian Act and so I'm full status um, and found my mother and I found our way to Alderville First Nation um, I was a young child and, and my mother married the uh, chief of Alderville um, in the early 80s. And I grew up in Alderville. And so uh, this is why I was saying, you know, it's such a complex um, uh, history. Um, but really, Alderville is where I grew up. Mm. I grew up with the, the Mississaugas of Alderville. Um I, I consider Alderville my home. Mm. I return there to see my family, and um, it's such a, a, a lovely place to yeah. to grow up with lots of really lots of strengths in that in that community. Yeah, I've driven through it a, a couple of times. It's it, like I say, it's a lovely little community where it's located, and and it is uh, just in a, a nice little area that is so so beautiful and you are now working with uh, Ottawa Public Health and the Wabano Center to work on the COVID-19 rollout for First Nation Inuit and Métis people and I also understand there's a there's a third center that's involved for the Inuit. Yes so at at this time we have two Indigenous um, organizations providing vaccinations uh, in, in our community. So we have Akausavik, which uh, serves um, the Inui community. As you know, we have mm-hmm. a very large, diverse, beautiful um, community from the north Indeed. here in Ottawa. Yeah. And uh, also Wabano is providing a vaccine, a COVID vaccine for those that are 50 and older. Mm-hmm. Um, initially at the Wabano Center uh, and now has moved to um, uh, a, a city, um, a city location on Cote Street, hmm. and um, that our our work with both of these organizations, as Ottawa Public Health, um, began way before the pandemic. Uh, we've built partnerships with uh, these indigenous organizations as well as others in the city through the Ottawa. Aboriginal Coalition, and we've done uh, collaborative work with that group on addressing 
and collecting stories of racism in the healthcare system, uh, working with hospital partners on improving the quality of healthcare that our Indigenous uh, community members receive, both in um, in our hospitals and 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 clinics within within the community. So we had already established quite a strong partnership as a public health entity with. Uh, Indigenous service providers. And so it was a natural um, fit. Mm -hmm. Uh, The relationship was already established uh, and trust uh, so that we could work together to implement a COVID vaccine program that was, um, you know, culturally safe and in partnership with our Indigenous community partners. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And it's a pleasure to have on the show with me today, Dr. Sarah Funnel, and she is a First Nations family physician and public health specialist. And she is uh, working with Ontario Public Health as well as partnering with the Wabano Centre for Aboriginal Health. Uh, During the COVID vaccination, as you just heard Sarah mention, that's a relationship that has been established already. So it was a good fit for them to to work together during this COVID-19 vaccination rollout. Uh, Dr. Funnel, what what then would your role be at, uh, in overseeing this and working with both uh, Ottawa Public Health and the Wabano Centre and the Akusevic? Is that the correct way to say the uh, Inuit Family Health Team? Akusevic. Akusevic, thank you. So uh, th- Our approach at Ottawa Public Health has been one of um, authentic engagement and collaboration with our Indigenous uh, community partners, such as uh, Wabano and Akausevic. Ottawa Public Health... um, has made a commitment to reconciliation. We have a plan, um, a reconciliation plan, reconciliation plan that has been endorsed by our Board of Health. And uh, as well, we wrote that plan with our partners. Mm. And so we do really see uh, partnerships and uh, empowerment as the level of engagement that is necessary uh, for Indigenous organizations to self-determine what is best for the Indigenous community. And so with that, we've been working with our partners at Wabano and Akausevic to have them lead the way of rolling out the COVID-19 vaccine program. And we are there to support and whatever um, support is required by the, um, by our organizations that we're working with. Right. And do you have a a sense of what the, the size of the indigenous, well, Métis, Inuit and and First Nation population is that, that the organizations uh, oversee or, or would be looking to, uh, looking to vaccinate in the Ottawa area? So the size of our local indigenous population, um, the statistic you you will hear depends on what your sources are. And so um, according to Statistics Canada, the numbers in 2016, there was just under um, 40,000 indigenous people in the Ottawa area. Mm. That's according to Statistics Canada. Right. Um, what we hear from our partner organizations uh, is that that is an underestimate. Mm. So according to StatsCan, there are 38,000 Indigenous people in Ottawa. Well, our, our depending on the uh, Indigenous organization uh, that you speak to, that number is uh, likely closer to 43,000. It could be even higher. As you know, um, Indigenous identity mm-hmm. Uh, and how it's determined uh, can be problematic. Yeah. And so um, people have lost their official uh, legal indigenous identity through um, the sexist and racist policies of the Indian Act or um, were adopted out. There mm. was the 60s scoop. Yeah. Lots of reasons why um, it's very difficult to measure uh, the number of Indigenous people in our area, but it's it's um, according to our partners, it's it's much higher than than what StatsCan is is suggesting it is. Mm. 
Okay. Now, of course, we've heard a, a fair amount about the COVID-19 virus and that it is more dangerous for, for certain communities, certain people. Indigenous people are one of those groups that have been identified as such. What have you heard and what have you seen over the last year that might back that up? Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, covid was referred to as the great equalizer because all of us uh, were essentially immune to COVID at the start. Mm. Uh, And then we started to realize that it wasn't so much an equalizer. It was more of um, an illuminator, or I've heard it referred to as the great revealer, Mm. that it reveals those health inequities we knew that existed beforehand Mm. and puts it really up front and center. And so COVID loves to spread in crowded areas um, and in places with poor ventilation. Mm. And so... Uh, what creates that kind of environment where someone lives or works in a crowded place with poor ventilation? Mm. Um, and that are and, and you find those environments where people experience poverty. Right. And so when you start to strip back all the layers of why indigenous people uh, are more likely to have poor outcomes with COVID, it really does stem back to um structural discrimination and racism Mm. uh, that as a society, we have accepted that um, Indigenous people live in crowded homes uh, with poor ventilation and lack of access to clean water. And so it's the same in the city. Um, It's the same root causes that you get to. When you look at here in the city of Ottawa, we've just um, experienced an incredible outbreak of COVID in our in those that are experiencing homelessness and seeking services at our shelters. Well, the point in time survey that the city did in 2016 um, showed that over 25% of those that are homeless are Indigenous. Mm. Um, and surprisingly, uh, or likely not actually surprisingly, um, many of those that are homeless were also in the foster care system. Mm. So you can see the root causes. There's all these really powerful systemic um, uh and social determinants of health that are at play here with COVID that aren't different um, before COVID. It's just really illuminating um, these inequities. Mm, Right. And I guess that's why there is the concern and why many communities were going into lockdown early uh, so that they could help to prevent uh, the spread within their, in many of these flying communities. Uh, they're, they are, of course, uh, many of them don't have the proper health care uh, in their communities. Um, I know that uh, I was um, able to spend some time up in uh, Atawapiskat at one point and uh, see the community. They drove me around. They showed me some of their, their health care facilities. They showed me the area where the dentist would come and possibly once a month they would come in um, so uh, or once every three months but they said it doesn't matter if they show up because a lot of the equipment was broken so there was a lot of again those inequities show up in many different ways um, within the community we also know also know about the water issue in many communities that has been uh, something that else that came up through COVID-19 as well. What kind of questions are you hearing from Indigenous people around COVID-19, their concerns? Are, are they very similar? Or do you getting, are you getting, do you think, some unique questions brought forward from, from uh, Indigenous uh, patients? Well, I, I, I'm not uh, seeing patients uh, at the moment since the, since the pandemic um, for the very reasons you just stated. Mm. Uh, First Nations communities, um, rightfully so, were, um, you know, had experienced uh, some traumatic uh, situations as a result of the H1N1 pandemic. Mm. And in response to that, we're taking matters into their own hands to protect their communities uh, and limiting um, people from outside their communities to to inside their communities to reduce the um, likelihood of transmission into the community from outsiders. And so since that time, since the start of the pandemic, uh, I haven't worked directly with patients. Yeah, so I haven't been doing um, primary care family medicine since the start of the pandemic. What I have heard, though, from 
elders that I speak to uh, through other conversations I've had with other First Nations people outside of the clinical um, context is that there's very much um, still that, uh, you know, trauma related to previous pandemics. Mm. As you know, this is not the first pandemic Indigenous people have experienced Mm. um, uh, from colonization and first contact. uh, Diseases from other sides of the world were introduced to our people, such as measles, smallpox. So this is not at all our first pandemic. we lost uh, millions of Indigenous people from those early contacts and early pandemics. And then um, further that, you know, fast forward to H1N1, um, where there was some really disheartening, sad, uh, tragic responses uh, to First Nations communities by um, service agencies. Mm. So that you know, left Indigenous communities with this feeling like, is anyone going to help us when we get into trouble with COVID? Mm -hmm. I've heard that, um, you know, some people have even said, you know, if there's not very many ventilators, uh, First Nations, uh, Inuit, Métis people will be the last to to get the ventilator. Mm -hmm. And so this is the trauma that our our communities are carrying. Um, And, you know, the mistrust uh, stems from, you know, some really horrendous situations that people have experienced with the healthcare system. And of course, the uh, trauma experienced by Joyce Eshaquan and her family Mm -hmm. in the fall really brought that uh, to the fore in the media. Um, And so it's very real what people experience. Um, It's um, systemic racism is really, really powerful. And uh, that sense of not being safe in a healthcare encounter um, goes from, you know, you're walking into an emergency room when you're in an emergency to booking your vaccine appointment for COVID. And so what we need to do is support our partners, our Indigenous partners, so we create a, a safe a safe healthcare encounter so that people can access the services that they need. Right. Time for a break here on Moment of Truth, but stay with us. We'll be right back with more from Dr. Sarah Funnel right after this. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to the show. And my guest on the show today is Dr. Sarah Funnel. And she is working with Ottawa Public Health, who is partnering with Wabano Centre for Aboriginal Health in the Ottawa area. We are talking about the vaccine rollout and COVID-19 here on the show today. And now the variants and the mutations of COVID-19 have brought another level of concern right across the country. And of course, I know that they seem to be spreading much quicker. Are you hearing that? And, and what, do you, what do you know about those, these variants and how, what concern they might be? I, too, have heard elders express concern about uh, variants. And as we know, it's that same uh, story that um, we started with at Contact, where uh, international global travel has brought new uh, diseases to mm. Turtle Island mm. and um, Indigenous people are most likely to suffer the poorest consequences of that. Mm. And so uh, I have heard elders express concern about the variants of concern. Uh, on a Western scientific level, viruses normally mutate. This is expected right. of a virus. Yep. And I, I heard a, a wonderful epidemiologist from U of T talk about how the more we gather, the more likely a variant is to result from that. And so the more opportunities the virus has to move between people, the more ch- more times it can mutate and, and then emerge a new variant that's more likely to spread. Mm. Um, as much as a new variant that's more likely to spread, there's new variants that are less likely to spread that we just don't know about. Mm. So this is this is a normal behavior for a virus. And so, you know, it, it, compare like SARS, the original SARS, uh, that, um, that virus was um, just a little too lethal to be able to spread well. Right, right. So I've heard this virus and the new variants that will emerge and, su- and succeed are because they're just 
just bad enough. There was this wonderful um, uh, article. Well, not wonderful. It's a bit disheartening, actually. Uh, I don't know if you've if you've caught it, but it um, was how the pandemic defeated America, and the author talks about how COVID is just bad enough you know it's mm-hmm. it's severe enough that it will kill millions mm-hmm. but it's mild enough to move undetected through a population it spreads really quickly um but just slowly enough that when we start to see the statistics rise, um, it's it's like too late. Mm. And so um, when I read that, it made me think of uh, the trickster tales, mm. you know, our, mm-hmm. our, our yep. First Nations tales of a trickster that, sure. you know, uh, sneaks sneaks around, um, maybe is humorous or funny or not, maybe is scary uh, and dangerous, uh, whatever the trickster's tale is. But what it's the, what is at the heart of that tale is that there's a really important lesson. Mm-hmm. So I like to compare COVID to a trickster. Mm-hmm. Uh, sneaky uh, sneaks in when you when you don't know it's there mm. and lots of people get sick and some die which is which is sad and tragic mm-hmm. because um, people gathered without knowing they were sick and so the other part of the trickster tale is what is the story COVID's trying to tell us mm. and I really do think that the story is one of inequity and illuminating those inequities and um, asking us what are we going to do about that? Mm. And so I like how this author who writes how the pandemic defeated America is that um, the author says like going back to normal. Oh, like, like let's not return to normal because Mm normal is what led to this pandemic. And so when I think about that, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to return to normal either. I want a better new normal. I want, um, um, to live in a society that um, where Indigenous people can have the ability to be healthy and well as as much as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I know your original question was about VO, VOC's variants of concern, uh, but it's just to say that COVID is really sneaky. It's a trickster and the VOCs are new forms of that trickster. And um, and so what what is what is the the story these tricksters are are trying to tell us and um, time time will tell and hopefully people will listen. Well, I really appreciate what you were saying there and, and looking at it from that trickster perspective, sort of admire it at that level to about what it is doing, um, you know, from that scientific perspective, I guess you might say. Yeah, it's sort of like blending. um it's like the two-eyed seeing approach. We can see the, mm. the the Western science and explain how the virus mutates and why, um, and and why it might spread more or more quickly based on you know the mutation of the spike protein. All those things, all mm. those really like um, detailed things. Um, but then then take a big look at the big picture and how did we come to this point what was it that um we as a society and community decided we're okay with um and that actually (laughs) acceptance of of the status quo has meant that some people in our society suffer disproportionately um with covid either they um, either they're more likely to get sick, uh, more likely to die. Um, and we do know that that's true of racialized communities, more likely to get sick, more likely to die. Um, and, and as well suffer disproportionately from the public health interventions. Mm. Uh, the only things that worked until now with the advent of the vaccine was uh, distancing, um, really setting up the environment to uh, improve ventilation and improve um, or decrease crowding. Mm. And so the vaccine is going to protect us now from today's pandemic, um, but what about the future? Mm. What about the next pandemic? Mm-hmm. So we really do have to address those upstream interventions um, of poverty, affordable housing, um, addressing racism, so that uh, the next time 
the and the new the next pandemic that we're better prepared and mm-hmm. we lose fewer lives. Yeah, and I think you're right. You know, you, you mentioned the inequities and and also uh, how when we. It, it, it pointed out the weaknesses, as you you know. Another guess, another way of saying it. So um, I guess there'll be a lot of questions asked around these these things as we go forward. You mentioned elders, and I wanted to come back to that about the the indigenous communities, because I'm not sure how many people understand that a loss in a community uh, in an indigenous community it's it's not just the loss of a, an elder person it, it's the fact that many of those elders are the knowledge keepers they're the people that are that are carrying the languages forward and we all know that many of those indigenous languages are on the edge of being extinct because we've lost so many people already and because of the other colonial things that, that were mentioned like the residential school and people not wanting to speak their languages anymore. So uh, especially important for Indigenous communities to protect their elders against COVID-19. Yeah, definitely. Um, The loss of an elder in the Indigenous community, uh, as you said, is more than just the the loss of a a life. It's a loss. It's our history Mm. um, that hasn't had maybe time to be passed on. Mm. Uh, And so a life that's lost too soon um, is is a, a missed opportunity for our people to, to learn from our elders. And so um, it's, uh, you know, as you pointed out at the outset, the, the, the idea of, of language and how important that is. And language is really powerful. And, um, and it's, it's always really broken my heart that our Algonquin language wasn't passed passed down to us I you know I asked my dad um, a couple years ago why weren't you taught your your language and he said that um, my grandfather didn't want the kids my father and his siblings to suffer Mm. any additional racism because of language Mm. and so you can see just how just how powerful that is and as we uh, reclaim our culture and our space it really makes me hopeful that we will get some language back and so um, when my dad had a milestone birthday he had one of our elders name all of us Mm. and we all received our Algonquin (laughs) names and it just in this last you know six months I've been trying to use my name um more, uh, you know, publicly. So my Algonquin name is is Minwanamad, which means pleasant breeze. Mm. And so, um, you know, it's I do feel hopeful that um, that there there is a better future for our children and their children. And uh, and my 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 children have my father's named them. Mm. And so, you know, with the, that reclaiming of our language and our culture, it is you know how we're gonna how we're going to um, get well, and when you see that within the vaccine rollout that Indigenous people were prioritized, that also makes me feel hopeful that maybe we're on the cusp of of a better future where Indigenous health uh, and 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 inequities, but also what we can bring to the world. Um, will be more recognized that mm-hmm. there's uh, we too our traditional ways um, is a specialization that's uh, unique and, and really powerful and so we feel we need to protect our elders uh, so we don't lose all of that um, because we're in this you know phase of reclaiming our culture and our languages right yes absolutely nicely said I've often uh, mentioned this in other interviews when I've been talking to people about how indigenous knowledge uh, in many ways has been omitted from being used and we talk about the environment and and other things I I keep thinking so much of this stuff is is so indigenous you know we're coming back to this but why are we not why are we not talking to indigenous people why are indigenous people why is that knowledge not being utilized uh, in terms of making this earth either protecting it and or going back to that thinking and saying look uh, this is just as valuable as anybody with a PhD Uh, you know why should why are we not using this information we should be 
I think you're so right. So at the start of the pandemic, I thought, oh, this is giving Mother Earth a break, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. all this global travel and climate change and all this busyness. Um, And now, you know, because everyone has to stay put, Mother Earth will have an opportunity to recover. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought of that as one of the silver linings. And then when we reopened, I felt a little bit sad for for Mother Earth that it wasn't long enough to recover. Mm And we had lots of reflections over the pandemic about uh, our traditional ways and the the way we think about the earth and sustainability and respect for for Mother Earth mother you know for mother earth and um and then contrast that with the ways in which uh newcomers uh, at contact thought about indigenous people mm-hmm. as being um not as educated or not right. as sophisticated mm-hmm. and now look at where we are yes. we're going back to like those basics of like what we need to be well and healing the earth. And those really do stem from our traditional ways and being a community and pulling together to help each other. Like those, those are, those are indigenous values that, um, that can heal all of us, not just indigenous people, but, but all of us. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look at what is going on with uh, trying to uh, make this world so that it is sustainable for us going forward, um, why would we not look at Indigenous populations that lived on Turtle Island for how long? You know, a millennia and, and, and lived with Mother Earth, survived and lived light on the land, I've heard it said, and didn't, uh, didn't live out of balance with it, but lived in balance with nature and Mother Earth. And at this point in time, looking over the last even hundred years, how much damage has been done to the planet, and that's what we're being faced with right now. And, and I, I'm just wondering, is there anything else from the COVID or from the perspective of what you're working with in Ottawa uh, that we haven't spoken about that you feel is important to mention? You know, from the start, uh, I did, I, I told you that um, COVID is uh, an illuminator and mm-hmm. it's a trickster and telling mm-hmm. us a story. And the other story that uh, you and I haven't talked about, which is important to mention, is that uh, that our community was also on was at risk of poor mental health mm-hmm. or was suffering poor mental health mm-hmm. um, because of, for many reasons for many reasons whether there was not enough investment in mental health uh, supports and services um, or a stigma with um, mental health uh, diagnoses and substance use and all that uh, surrounds that um, we were suffering. Uh, our community was suffering, not just in, not just in Ottawa, but across the country and across the globe from an opioid epidemic. And then COVID came along and put more pressure on on that um, on all of that. And we've seen worse mental health issues, mm-hmm. La- even f- more. Um, uh, barriers to access for mental health supports. And so this is another area that COVID's really illuminated the cracks in our system and has seen people fall through those cracks mm-hmm. and asked and is asking us, what are we going to do about it? Mm. Right. So um, again, you know, looking to our traditional ways, uh, uh, elders tell me indigenous people, we know what we need to be well. We just have to have the 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 right to to do the things that we know we need to be well, mm-hmm. whether that's uh, living off the land or access to traditional foods or celebrate doing our our ceremonies and celebrations or or um, just feeling good about who we are and in our own own bodies. And we still, you know, again, same theme. We have those answers. And we also need some help from Western medicine, mm. and we need to access Western medicine in a way that's culturally safe, um, and that respects where we come from, and and that we may have other ideas aside from um, Western ways of of being well and and working on our own our own wellness. 
So my hope for the future too is that we have um, improvement in mental health that uh, those that are suffering from uh, substance uh, addiction get the treatment that they need um, so that we can just have a movement towards overall wellness, including physical wellness uh, and and mental wellness and, and spiritual and cultural wellness as well. Mm. And uh, looking at the vaccine rollout that's going to be taking place, do you have any sense of how that is going to, uh, once the vaccines start rolling in, what how that's going to take place between the Ottawa Public Health and the Wabano Centre and the uh, Agosovic uh, Inuit Family Health Team? What, what I would say is that Ottawa Public Health, uh, we're committed to our partnerships um, and we're committed to reconciliation and that... Um, if 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 it's in the decision making of of Ottawa Public Health or local public health units as to how the remainder of the vaccine program will roll out, we will continue to work with our partners to ensure that they have um, the the ability and empowerment to roll out the vaccine in culturally safe ways and spaces. If, if the decision isn't uh, at the public health, local public health level of how the remainder of the vaccine program will roll out. So what I'm saying is that, you know, we've heard that perhaps pharmacies um, mm. or family doctors or primary care physicians yep. will be doing their own vaccine mm-hmm. uh, programs as well. Um that we will be there to advocate for cultural safe ways to institute vaccine programs uh, to those that need that, that type of uh, support Mm. to ensure that they're offering their programs and services in a culturally safe way. And so, um, you know, I I think that it's really important that indigenous organizations are at the center of these programs for indigenous populations. Mm. I guess the other thing that we're hearing more and more about now is about the how COVID is here. We we should be getting used to the idea that it's going to be sticking around, just like we said, the variants are going to be happening. And uh, much like the flu comes around every year, I guess COVID's going to be here. We're going to probably get boosters. There's going to be um, new, new uh, vaccines that are going to be coming out that hopefully try to deal with some of the more variants. But uh, are you hearing that similar thing of that? Let's get used to the idea that COVID's here. I think we can expect that uh, our trickster friend is going to be around for Mm. a while, Mm. constantly reminding us Mm. of um, how we need to do things better. Uh, The science, the Western science on COVID uh, is changing all the time and we're learning more and more about uh, COVID. Um, So I think the we really do have to go back to the the basics, uh, the necessities of life that people need to be well, not mm. just to prevent themselves from getting sick from COVID, mm. but to present them to prevent themselves from getting sick for, of uh, tuberculosis mm. or influenza. Uh, those that live in crowded housing where they have to sleep in shifts, that's not good for mental health either. Right. And so, if we really address those upstream issues. Um, then we will not only prevent the rapid spread of COVID, but any other uh, trickster uh, virus or bacteria that sneaks into our community. Just to remind us that we still have a lot of work to do um, Mm. on improving uh, our conditions and ensuring that everyone has the necessities uh, of life that they, they need to be well. Yeah, making sure that our immune systems are at its peak uh, performance uh, at, at all times, if possible. Uh, good information, good information for sure. Now, uh, Sarah, I also understand that that one of the things that you do when you have some downtime is uh, you you like to talk to plants. You you have some plants you like to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you about my plant journey. Okay. So. Um, you know, I was always surprised at how a plant would just silently let itself die. <laughs> you know, I would forget mm. to water my plants or mm. whatever. Um, now, since the pandemic, this is one of the silver linings. Mm. You know, I started to see things differently. Mm. I started to see the world around me differently and gain a respect for um plants and all that they have to offer, Mm. which is really interesting because 
one of my ancestors, my great grandfather was um, uh, a, a practice traditional medicine with plants. Mm. And so over, you know, earlier on in the pandemic, I would uh, pick up cedar, mm-hmm. walk in the dog and then come home and boil it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that morphed into, oh, I'm just going to try to plant some seeds, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, planted some seeds and created a garden and some things worked out and some things didn't. And I just um, realized that uh, it's, I started just to tell my plants that I've, you know, created from seed, mm. how much I appreciate them mm. and just taking the time mm. to uh, appreciate all life, including, including plants. And mm. it's been really really fun, really uplifting. I've managed to uh, pollinate indoors, you know, pepper plants. Um, I'm just about to pollinate my tomatoes inside. (laughs) Uh, I'm looking forward to the spring melt Mm. to get outside and see the bulbs I planted in the fall. And are they going to work out? And Mm. what are they going to look like? And (laughs) i have brought my children on this journey with me as well to mm. teach them about plants and we're, we're learning together. Yeah. And I think that's a, sounds like a familiar journey that a lot of people went through in, in terms of at least planting and creating gardens over the last year because people had more time to do so. But the idea of you actually talking to your plants and thanking your plants, you know, I, I'm, I brought that up not just as a light conversation, but it's a therapy in some ways, isn't it? It's a therapy for yourself, but we also know that talking to plants helps them. Yeah, so, um, you know, I I heard, you know, you hear that thing, you should talk to your plants. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, one of my colleagues at Public Health told me that, well, you know, it's actually like brought it down to the science. Like when you're talking to your plants, you're releasing CO2, which right. helps them grow. Right. And, you know, and then they release oxygen. Right. Like my skin has never been so good <laughs> than it has this That's year with good. all of these plants and the <laughs> oxygen. And um, it's really like we're, we're one, mm. you know? Mm. I don't know if that's what you were what you're getting at, but um, I'd love to hear I'd love to hear more about why talking to plants <laughs> helps them, and I, I I can see why it helps me. But Great. my dad tells me that plants have spirits. I believe it, and they have souls, and yeah. that's just really like really you know kind of blows my mind to think mm. about. Well, I, I think you said it, we're all one, and I think that's something that COVID also brought to our attention, that we may be living in different countries, We may be, but we are all one on this Mother Earth. It is our home, and we have to take care of ourselves and our home, which is Mother Earth, if we are going to sustain ourselves and move forward. So, Sarah, it's been really fascinating speaking with you. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the show and, and share what you're doing in Ottawa at Ottawa Public Health and the Wabano Center and uh, and continued uh, all the best with what you're doing and uh, throughout this COVID uh, situation as well as moving forward. And uh, I hope that at some point we might be able to have you back on the show to talk again. I would love that. Chimi Gwech. Chimi Gwech. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. That's uh, Dr. Sarah Funnel. She is a First Nations family physician and public health specialist. She's working with the Ottawa Public Health as well as with the Wabano Center for Aboriginal Health and providing COVID-19 vaccination clinics for First Nation, Inuit and Métis people in the community ages 50 and up. And uh, as she pointed out, uh, they're located now at the St. Laurent Complex located at 525 Cote Street. If you are trying to get more information, it's been a pleasure speaking with Sarah and that is our show for today. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. We'll see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.